1: Hell yeah, brother. Overload, brother.
2: Beats by Ad Smoke M2 6 Welcome to another episode of the Seattle Overload Podcast. I'm joined by Griffin and Ty, and we're going to have a special in the lull of the offseason data, or as you guys would say, data episode. <laughs> I, I say data.
1: Sometimes I say I data. Say data. But I, I, I like I like the long a. Honestly,
3: I feel like it would have been like you that would have said data, and then we yeah. would have said data.
2: Mm. You well, yeah. as they say, you say patata, I say potato.
1: No, we say potato too. What? Yeah. Anyway.
2: Right. Anyway, this too guy, many vowels. This is so uh, yeah. Like Z. You, you guys are doing, back. You guys are kind of doing absolutely fine.
3: Yeah, we're, we're we're great. We're vibing. The vibes are great. The vibes are immaculate. Yeah. And how are you, Maddie?
2: Well, you know, struggling in the Seahawks off season. No news. Sort of having to rewind the Sound of the Seahawks episode two on the official Seahawks YouTube channel. You know, mm. four hundred times. Play it back in zero point two five speed. Pause it uh, and hope that the blurry wall behind uh, the the main shot somehow becomes visible and, and, reveals all of the VMAX deepest and darkest secrets. But other than that, yeah, no, absolutely fine. So
1: the next episode is definitely going to be offense based, right? And Waldron based.
2: Well, I'm wondering what if they're going to keep that on a, um, like download. Cause they don't want to expose the quarterback competition, but you did but then they did, Oh, they can frame like, it
1: like it's anyone's game, especially because training camp ha- hasn't actually started yet.
2: Well, and they did end episode two with a shot of Tyler Lockett. So uh, they are hinting towards mm-hmm. the offense. Oh, but right. I wouldn't be shocked if they exclude the quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get some Shane Waldron action, though, see what he emphasizes and what he doesn't emphasize.
2: Bit of uh, Dickerson. Right. Yeah. Right. Some uh, nice run blocking terms. Talking tracks and and Waldron saying about um, you know I wonder if he coaches in the way he does press conferences where he he says so so much and yet so so absolutely. Nothing.
3: Do, do you feel like the NFL could see these videos and then next year they're like, okay, you're doing hard knocks.
1: I don't know. Maybe maybe this is their way of giving fans what they want. But being able to control it because I don't think Pete wants a third party anywhere near
2: I wondered this if stuff. this was actually the franchise preparing for hard knocks next year and they've been told oh, like maybe. it's quite likely. Yeah. I, I'm I'm not sure exactly how the eligibility works off the top of my head, but I'm Ooh. pretty certain they're in line like next next year if they don't make I the will, playoffs.
1: Maybe, yeah. I feel like a lot of the them doing this though is trying to rope fans in after trading away russell wilson because they're they're worried
2: i mean that was quite significant and they have also been advertising their training camp tickets quite a bit usually that sells out immediately friends uh sorry not friends spies who i send the vmac to take pictures of certain things um they they've been able to get tickets very easily and there's still tickets available i think for a lot of the training camp days so they clearly yeah. are struggling to get fans invested in this team full of superstars like Jamal and DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Michael Dixon, mm. Jason Myers, Tyler Rot, Travis Homer, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the Nick best Willard. players. Mm-hmm. So football data. This episode, we're going to highlight five, maybe six of our favorite metrics around the Seahawks from the 2021 season but also extrapolate that to how, you know, that, uh, may look in 2022, you know, how that impacts the future of this football team. Right. And
3: first up quarterback wins.
1: Quarterback wins and, uh, a valid metric. Yeah. So the one that I chose was, um,
0: EPA so per play
1: Seattle's <laughs> defensive EPA per pass allowed to wide receivers and tight ends since week 6 and the reason why I am highlighting that um line, why I'm choosing week 6 to be this line of demarcation mm. um is because yeah. well that's when they changed things on defense that was kind of when they um that was when they they started to shift toward more uh, too high as the saying goes, and playing really aggressive zone, having really aggressive zone ma- matching principles within their too high stuff. They had done some too high stuff uh, before uh, week six, but there wasn't as much. They weren't putting as much on the overhangs like Jordan Brooks and Ugo Amadi when they were in that. Mm. Um, so that's well, kind of when they
2: to, to your point as well, yeah. Griff. That's when they changed, like from a schematic perspective. But also personnel-wise, something I, I was reminded of recently—you know, the, the cornerback situation—they kind of had that was not ideal, and they had to sort of figure that out, and it sort of started
1: right. Yeah, together. Then. Yeah, it's it's cornerback-driven as well. That's 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 for sure. Um, and Matty, you can expand on that. But so, without much further ado, that stat was um, again EPA per pass allowed to non-running backs, right? Wide receivers and tight ends combined. Okay, hold stepping... on, hold on, Griff, Griff, real yeah. quick.
3: Manny, can we see that huge bottle again? That is a massive, absurdly massive water bottle.
2: Uh well, no free ads, actually. Oh. oh. Ripped uh,
3: off the label. Rip off the label. We want the bottle. It's very
2: important to um <laughs> to stay hydrated. <laughs> it doesn't even fit in the whole frame.
1: Is that what is that 64 ounces?
2: 1.5 liters. Wow, I do liters. Uh, We actually.
1: What's interesting is we actually do do liters, but we do like nothing else in the metric system. For whatever reason, though, we do use liters. Yeah, you can buy like liters of soda bottles.
3: At the store.
2: Talking of metrics. Okay, so
1: they were seventh. (laughs) No, sorry, that was an important segue. Seventh in EPA per pass wide receivers and tight ends. In effect, they were a good pass defense um downfield and it's important to highlight uh because well it it frames it frames their strengths and weaknesses as, as a defense because um and this will kind of lead into the next stat i don't want to give it away yet though but when you're a defense everyone has mixed feelings about what the defense was last year but when you're not when you're not letting offenses get vertical on you and you're just simply not giving up many completions um, or even attempts, even downfield, it's hard to score a lot of points. Uh, it's hard for an offense to score a lot of points so they can't put the ball downfield. Um, and let's remember, they were 10th in, de- in defensive points per drive last year. That's for the whole season. They were tied for 10th in the regular season. So yeah, they had some pretty fatal flaws, but when we're talking about how far this defense needs to come, we still have to lay it, up, lay it all out on the table and actually digest what they actually are before we talk about what they need to improve. Um, defensive efficiency wise, yeah, they their total like DVOA and EPA per play total for all situations was not great, it was like 20 something. Um, but the first thing you're trying to prevent are points, and they actually did okay there, and they were one of the better defenses um in defending wide receivers and tight ends and another way of looking at it is like passes that traveled 10 yards downfield or greater um they were also like i think fifth in epa per per pass using that metric um and further they were the they gave up the fifth least explosives total no matter where the ball was thrown just explosive passes uh they gave up the fifth fewest last time i checked i believe that might be wrong but it was around there and then they were also since week six the single most least targeted defense in the intermediate from yards 10 to 20 or 10 to 19. uh and that's by total dropbacks so um that just meant i mean if you're not targeting in the, over the middle or or past 10 yards you know below 20 in that intermediate section things aren't open because any offense would rather throw there than hit the running back at the check down. I have to hit something more shallow than that. Now, obviously they were, if they were seventh in that metric that I initially listed and they were 10th overall in points and they were even, they were like 22nd or something in total EPA per play. That obviously means that on passes to running backs and or passes below 10 yards, they were doing horrifically and indeed they were um and we've talked at nauseum on this podcast reasons why for that
2: well um, we can we can also but, transition to a different metric for that as well well but.
1: we can so i guess i'll do two in a row because it makes sense um the next metric i was going to highlight was their um for the whole season on passes to on passes of air yards less than five which that's an attempt to kind of um combined screens and check downs and and things of that nature swing passes they were 29th for the whole season which is horrific so obviously and, and the success rate was like 56 percent which is like ludicrously high um and that was also worse than the league so they're just like giving up all these first downs on the, on those passes and yeah when you're playing too high that means and even if you're playing cover two, you have five underneath defenders but if you're assigning your corners to play kind of an aggressive carry on a fade ball, because if you think about it, cover two, you want top down coverage on a fade ball. If you're wanting them to carry that route, in essence, you kind of sometimes only have three defenders or two defenders to one side, if you're checking it down and that's just bad spacing to be able to defend um, that running back or that tight end or that receiver on, on those check downs. They were, so yeah, they were 29th in the league, but, Oh, wait, I, I uh, forgot what I was saying. I just cut myself off. <laughs> um, but when you don't have a pass rush and your interior defensive underneath interior is being ran off by the routes and pass rush is just giving the quarterback all that time, by the time they actually hit the hit the running back, there's more space between that running back and, and those defenders. So mm-hmm. and it's essentially we on observe it and statistically it appears to be a pass rush issue. Um, but that's kind of a theory. But we can go even further with this because when you when you uh, identify when Carlos Dunlap finally started to come alive last season, which is around week 13, week 14, mm-hmm. the final five games of the season, when the four man rush improves, that same figure to uh, that same defensive figure on um, attempts under five yards, they jump from 29th up to 15th in the league. So simply Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor playing at their best that we saw last year cut that problem in half basically so we can assume that with uchenna and wosu coming in hopefully the addition of Boya Mafe, shelby harris which is huge quentin jefferson who's a decent interior pass rusher um hopefully we see that principle continue to improve so that they can continue to play their base stuff as much as necessary but be able to defend all uh, three levels of the field so that's going to be one of the main things to look for next year can the Back seven maintain their play and defending downfield. If you think about it, it's, they did that without a pass rush too. That they were those they got those figures against receivers, tight ends, targets down ten yards down the field or greater, without a pass rush. Um, adding a pass rush theoretically that those numbers could improve even more. But also, um, can that improve the the yak problems at the first level, um, so they can get off the field? Yeah. Uh, the main the main caveat there is obviously the exit of DJ Reed and the corner situation having potential but being a question mark still. So it's enough for me.
2: Well, and to the point of pass rush, you know, ESPN had Seattle's pass rush win rate, which you know not the not a perfect metric, but they had that at thirty nine percent, which only placed twentieth uh, best in the league. That that's basically using player tracking data from uh, NFL Next Gen Stats to see how often a pass rush is able to beat his block within 2.5 seconds so they weren't getting um, quick pressure basically they they weren't getting quick pressure so people were having to cover for longer without um, sort of busting the pocket up um, m- most of the time um, but I think also the stuff Griffin spoke about um, along with the tape which we've seen as well is you know it's just evidence that you know that, that, that the the they weren't rushing the passer very well. And then I think there's kind of a a theory that they're playing kind of soft defense, you know, they, they weren't covering guys tightly and hence why they they got checked down. It wasn't really that the case, you know, yeah, they were having to get deeper in their drops because of the fact that they weren't able to rush the passer as well, but you know, really they were playing matchup zone coverage, um, they were matching routes tightly down the field. The issue was they couldn't remove the check down now
1: or the screen, but
2: well, also to, yeah. your, to your point, you know, you mentioned your metric about wide receivers and tight ends and how running backs carved them up. One thing I would say is part of it was a lack of pass rush, but part of it also is that in the coverages that they're running, the running back is in a clear one-on-one, often on the backside of, of the coverage with a linebacker in, in, a, in a situation where if the offense comes up with the right concept, the running back is out leveraging uh, that guy. And we saw a great example of that versus the New Orleans Saints where Alvin Kamara went off in the first half um, right. against Jordan Brooks and then uh, even more uh, chiefly against um, Ryan Neal in, in Dime. Uh, beating one-on-ones and Seattle adjusted in the second half with different coverage. So if that happens, then, you know, that won't have helped the EPA per play. But if that happens, Seattle can adjust. But overall, I think your point about the pass rush is is really the the issue there. And it's very encouraging how, you know, their EPA per play... um, per pass, sorry, versus the wide receivers and tight ends is so good. But it's not just a pass rush thing. It is also the the coverages they're running, um, they're not they're not soft, but they they do leave a mismatch which only a few teams can can attack because how many running backs are better than a you know, better than a Jordan Brooks, better than maybe a Jamal Adams, um, you know, even Ryan Neal, you, you fancy against most running backs in the league. Like Alvin Kamara right. is, really, is one of a kind. I'm not sure if you think about the NFC West, like how many running backs are a passing game mismatch.
1: And yeah, and like yeah, guess check down, It's also screens. But if you think about the design of what screens are doing, when you talked about like aggressive match zone a lot of screens work because they're trying to run the coverage off. They're yeah. trying to get you as far away as the running back as possible. Mm-hmm. Make you think it's some nasty, like, you know, play action concept where you got to roll over,
2: find the, the vertical cover, releases. Drops. Yeah.
1: Right. And so get the linebackers as far away as possible from that running back. Then by the time you hit the running back, it's one guy in a one-on-one with three, 300 pound offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. and That ball is just going to go for, you know, 10 plus yards every time in those contexts. Um, we did see them improve a lot versus screens against the Cardinals. But again, that kind of goes back to they had passers that game. When you when you have a a, a formidable four-man rush, um, the the running back, I mean, you can influence the protection is what I'm saying, so that the defense can play seven on four instead of seven on five. If the running back or tight end has to block or block for longer, like a check release, then that just gives you a numbers advantage. One way to defend the running back is make him block, right?
2: Yeah. Oh. Or- um, and, and to that point as well, all you can do, as they did down the line against like, the Packers really well, you can run sim pressures where you're guaranteeing that your fourth rusher is rushing the back. Therefore, right. your eyes of the fourth rusher are right on the back. So if it is a screen, you know, he's rushing right into the the screen. Right. Right? He, he's right there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that will be a, a big thing if we can see. I mean... The offenses did not respect their four man rush last year because one, it just wasn't good, but it really hammers home how poor it was at times when they're running like four of us out of empty or like big dagger, country, like cross country dagger out of three by two empty formations.
2: Yeah. The five it's, step drop.
1: Yeah. Kind deep, of deep, five con- step, seven con- step con- drops.
2: John, empty. Like, BA. it's just
1: like this a, def- a defense can't expect to hold up like that um, or the coverage can't unless you've got you know amazing man corners which very few teams do and if they do have very amazing man corners they can't hold on to them for very long as the 2019 mm-hmm. Patriots showed um so, so let's talk
2: let's talk about the corners yeah so as as I alluded to Seattle's cornerback situation after you know after week six kind of really started looking good because week six if you recall was the Steelers game right? And Trey Brown, uh, they, they approached that like it was an open competition with um, Sydney Jones, right? They, they sort of switched time right. while DJ Reed anchored on the right side. Um, the week before against the Rams in, in week five, that was just Sydney Jones. But then in, in week four, they were kind of messing around with the, the corners still. And they're st- sort of still trying to um, yeah, figure things out, chemistry out, all of that sort of stuff. So it really does matter that, that, you know, they actually had their cornerback group kind of starting to be established. Now, the other thing I'd ask you, Griffin, is this year, DJ Reed has gone. So it's all well and good, Sam, their EPA... On passing plays, you know, versus wide receivers and tight ends was really good last year. But without DJ Reid, with Sidney Jones, but you know, Trey Brown's hurt; he's um, coming off a really bad knee injury. We assume Sidney Jones will be the starting left corner. He's kind of the only certainty in the cornerback group you'd, you'd hope. But then, is he a certainty? Because he was available for a reason. He has a injury record. You know, it's it's, pat- it's looking patchy the cornerback group. Whatever way you want to spin it whatever way they have' tried to upgrade it with the draft right So all these coverages where especially like the quarter quarter half deal where you you're one on one on the on the back side of that um, kind of I mean y- you need to press up you can play it like press man um, if it's like on the back side of trips um, mm-hmm. if if, it's, if there's two to your side then you're gonna have a, a hard quarter safety helping you in the dig window but you're still having to play with like press man kind of traits. Can they hang at corner like? Right. Are you confident?
1: I mean, it's, I mean, I want to say yes. Uh, There's a path where they are good. I mean, there's a reality where they are just fine. Does Artie, can you, does Artie Burns have a repeat performance of last year? Because he's had an up and down career, but he was solid last year. Can Sidney Jones, the Sidney Jones we saw the last month and a half of last season, can they get that for a full season? Or if one of them doesn't, can Trey Brown, is he healthy? Does he return to what he showed for about a month in his rookie year where he looked really promising? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, it's a huge, it's just a big question mark. You know, there's, there's a lot of potential, but there's also a lot of variance baked into it. So, but like you said, they can, they can mitigate a little bit. If it's, if they're playing, if they're playing a bunch of half quarter quarter to the half side, well, the corner that is playing the cloud doesn't have a lot on them. Right. right. To the quarter To the quarter side, you just simply have that safety play more of kind of like a cone almost and help a little bit more with, with, uh, an isolated receiver. Anyway, if it's the backside of trips, it's two by two, where things start to get interesting. That's where you really got to play, actual cornerback to that quarter side right and then also do we do we do we see more just pure quarters because we that's something we didn't see last last year very much and um sean decided to see a lot of didn't play a lot of pure quarters either like pure cover four to both Mm -hmm. sides of the field in chicago last year um and that seemed to be that seemed to follow from the injuries that he had because he didn't want to put them in those situations. He's,
2: so, And he spoke about um, how he, I forget when he did it, but I've heard him talk about how it was very important when he was a DC, like he figured out like once he was in that position, you know, only doing things it's obvious, but, and lots of people said, but only doing things that his guys could do. Like he, he spoke about how he found it, you know, uh, a good challenge having to adapt to what he had. So, you know, proof of your point, right. Griff.
1: Right, but then, but then to to contrast, Carl Scott, obviously Alabama, Minnesota, they play a lot of quarters, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and he he probably looks at he probably looks at Sydney and Artie and says, yeah, you guys have the skill set to play. You know, you press the line of scrimmage. You can do all that. Carry things downfield. You do wonder, he probably, I imagine, Carl Scott looks at Trey Brown. Let's assume he's the Trey Brown that we know him to be, or at least that he was before injury. Probably thinks, I like your technique. I like how you play and everything. But he probably does have a little pause with his length. And so does Pete Carroll, probably. And then he wonders, do I need to cloud Trey more often than not, especially against bigger-bodied receivers?
2: Hmm. Well, um, the the sort of um, kind of match-up choices you're speaking about, though, kind of re-emphasizes to me that you know what kyle scott and sean desai will bring but for me actually more kyle scott or you know at least on paper is these kind of coverage tools um and more like coverage checks right and more kind of on-field freedom with you know game plan influenced right on field freedom for the dbs if they're playing in like a split safety deal to kind of get into different things based off what they're getting, you know, receiver split, receiver matchup. And also just the fact that, and this kind of brings, you know, false, um, brings us to my, one of the metrics I wanted to highlight, which is, you know, and I've mentioned it on here before, but Sports Info Solutions, Chartered Seattle is running the fourth highest percentage of cover two, cover four, and cover six, so middlefield open zone coverage in the NFL versus drop back passing game and true media had that the seahawks is the fifth highest percentage so seattle was doing a lot of this already but right. with the sigh her coming in i think they have the the schematic background to kind of build upon that um tweak it up a bit in certain situations make it more uh, extensive more versatile not just one check for each thing, maybe two checks, right? Don't need to overcomplicate it. And maybe those two checks, the next week, are uh, the the plan B check or the the slightly different check is is different because of the different opponent and what they face. Right. They just have a bit more in their arsenal. Not that like you know Seattle couldn't have done that in the past; it just wasn't their emphasis, um, right. and they were sort of finding their base still. Right. Just like how in twenty twenty one when they run in the bear front like they built upon 2020 and the bear front in 2021 they tried to go more three four with it they went left and right they didn't have an obvious Sam or obvious Leo they tried to get rid of their uh field and boundary tells uh you know and and how that uh worked with the coverage right so
1: and and another thing to layer on top of what you just said um one thing Carl Scott's or maybe it was Jamal said the emphasis in, in those um mini camp press conferences for the safeties was making them interchangeable mm-hmm. if, if they're interchangeable to you know left right but when it comes to wanting to protect the corners if you can make the safeties truly interchangeable and you can make your uh, kind of your your split safety coverage like ambidextrous in a way if you feel like you want to flop it and have one the, the one side that you normally play cloud the other side play the quarter If you feel like there's a corner receiver mismatch that the the offense can manipulate to their favor, then you can just, if you truly have Jamal and Ugo or Jamal and Quandre structured and designed to where they can flip the call if they need to, then you can cloud the side that you'd rather have clouded and still play quarters the other side. And and the rest of the defense can, like the domino, the schematic domino effect can can, uh, follow last year mm-hmm. it seems like if that happened they just reverted to playing cover two in, in those situations because they did play so much cover two if, if there was if they wanted to if they would have rather played half quarter quarter but they found themselves in a situation where you know they wanted to uh protect one corner or th- they played a lot or of both corners two for a lot of different reasons yeah right but then they would just cloud both sides yeah um, this would give an, organiza- an organization to the defense that would kind of allow them to get into what they really want at all times um, with that. So that that's another thing to look for, I guess, with, with the safeties being interchangeable. Um,
2: mm. And, I mean, basically in, in, in what we're we talking about here, well, hmm. last year they only did it where the half was to the field. Um, right. Or... Well, it mainly just so happened it was the field, but it was to the passing strength, right? Right. Um, and then the quarter side was to the weak side, but to Jamal Adams in the boundary. And Jamal Adams played in the boundary. Conjure Diggs played to the field. Uh, Ugo Amadi played to the field in his vertical hook, matching the, the two vertical. Um, and they had a like a squat corner to the field, and then they had the quarters in the backside, right? So, right this year if if it's like the same thing you know you mentioned the interchangeability if it's like the same thing as what they did with bear when they then went left and right in 2021 maybe they i i liked how that fit their personnel last year however if they kind of change it up occasionally this year which I, it sounds like they're going to do and they they don't have the the you know both of them do both you know that that is big as you basically said i've just repeated what you said in a slightly different way um <laughs> So is uh I I guess, you know, we mentioned pass rush, right? Last year, another metric that you want to talk about, Griffin, their blitz rate was uh twenty two point four percent, which placed
3: He's counting, he's counting thirty two.
2: Minus eleven
3: mm. equals four <laughs> <laughs> You after, look so after, appalled. <laughs>
1: after we count to um after we count to ten, we're gonna name our vowels many. Mm-hmm.
2: Twenty (laughs) two.
3: Nope. Well
2: they well they placed twenty second. So they placed twenty second in their blitz rate. So that was minus (laughs) ten. Yeah, well, you know, we're under pressure here.
1: Um, So they they were were Yeah, go on.
2: So their their blitz rate was twenty second in the league at twenty two point four percent. So Griffin, why weren't they more aggressive?
1: um why weren't they more aggressive uh,
2: are they a soft defense were they a soft defense last yeah year? so
1: I obviously kind of like to unpack that question that implies that an aggressive defense is marked by whether they blitz or not right that's a, in part a straw man because not everybody characterizes a defensive aggressiveness that way it can be you know man coverage or how aggressively you match routes within zone or you, you can even look at it like if you have problem areas that you know are problem areas do you devote schematic attention to that and that could be anything right is that does does that mean aggressive like right that could mean the word can mean anything and everything you want it to mean right um but yeah so seattle uh rushed five or more guys whatever you said 22.4 percent, which came in at 21st if you look at the the list of percentages that's kind of most teams are clustered between like 20 and 30 percent so you know like average if they blitz three percent more they'd be dead average right so um so i but to put that number in to context seattle normally like the last four or five years have kind of hovered between 22 and 26 28 so that's kind of right in their their ballpark and they weren't they weren't lacking this year because they weren't blitzing enough. They weren't being like, you know, trying to get after the quarterback as much. Now when you don't have a good four man rush, yeah, there's merit in in rushing a lot, but that can be dangerous because we have to remember the first half of 2020, they were like top five in blitz rate. They were one of the most aggressive teams in the league and they generated a lot of sacks and they also gave up a lot of explosive passes downfield because their corners couldn't handle it. Because when the blitz was blocked up by the offense, um the corners couldn't hold up um it wasn't until dj reed came in that they were were able to hold up more when, when they did blitz and they still decreased the blitz rate in the second half of 2020 but um because they were just trying to play more sound collective drop drop seven defense but the the point is though is that being more aggressive is in a panacea up front because that can it has to be it's a delicate balance all easier said than done but that said Seattle was a very effective team when they did rush five this year. Um, and and not all blitzing is the same, obviously. Like, you can blitz out of your base zone for a different reason than you would blitz when it's third and seven, and you're showing cover one, and you've got six guys, seven guys up on the line of scrimmage, and you don't know who's blitzing and who isn't, right? Like, two different worlds. Mm-hmm. But Seattle's blitzing... Um, and so we yeah, should say
2: you can't it's harder to do that on base downs because if you're if you've got lots of people up front then people get knocked out of gaps you get weird blocking angles like it's unsound stopping the run
1: it's unsound it can be unsound for that and it can also be unsound trying to get into your pass drop if you're playing zone now the principle in seattle when they did the principle for seattle when they did the seahawks when they did rush five or more in their early down stuff was to well it was to kind of supplement the supplement the lack of inherent like attacking the offense that is not there when you're when you're dropping seven like when you're dropping seven you're playing bare a bare front which isn't great spacing for a four man rush you're dropping seven into coverage The principle there is if they drop back you're just trying to choke out the passing concept and make the quarterback make either a bad decision downfield or check it down and then you rally and 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 tackle the ball mm-hmm. that's wh- when you when you're playing too high coverage which is all the rage right now the the primary thing you're trying to do is stop an explosive pass and like that's the number one priority when you present two high safeties two is better than than one right well pete Carroll's philosophy historically or at least in seattle being cover three but still the the main concept is don't let them be go deep he's really saying we can get it done with one safety and we trust our corners to defend the fade ball no matter what right um but but we associate we associate being you know conservative and stopping the deep ball with Pete Carroll's cover three but too high is even more even further in that direction you're saying prevent it by default almost now teams still get Explosive against too high coverages, it can happen, of course. But like that's the whole point—you're devoting more resources to stopping that. So, um, so to win back So, some...
2: real quick, real quick. Yeah. Too high, uh cup, base like vanilla as hell. Cover two. If you get four verts, you should have five guys, five defenders, basically deep, right? If you have, if you're if you're running cover three, you get four verts um you should you'll have like four defenders deep so
1: yeah right yeah true um with all the matching for Mm -hmm. each respective coverage Mm -hmm. of course right but so point being though is like no one's calling brandon staley's defense soft right no one's calling Vic Fangio's defense soft but their primary their number one goal is you're not going to go deep on us that's what they're that's what they're saying when they choose to spend that much time in too high um but so when Seattle's living in that same world this past year with minor differences, if you don't have a four-man rush out of Bear, if you I, just don't have the talent. Go ahead.
2: I think I my take on that is the problem, like one we haven't seen uh, the NFL in general actually come up with the like I think this year we're going to see so many intermediate like beaters, right? Right. Like big digs, backside dig, bang, like beating these two eye kind of deals. But also, I think the way that they match the the obviously the deep, right? But the way they, they choke out the check like hover check downs tightly, like I think that is inherently like it feels more aggressive then like when you see cover three and it's like they check it down and we rally to it you see, you see what I'm saying Like that is yeah it was well, softer looking
1: right but I mean it, it looks soft and whereas awkward. cover three
2: is obviously covering up that intermediate you know
1: right right and it all depends on how you match stuff of like course, what, yeah. what what ultimately defines the potential of a coverage is what the underneath Defenders are doing right of course um, but like so anyway so see so sound coverage and what seattle is doing in their base stuff last year prevents positive plays from happening for the offense but you want to also generate negative plays for the offense that's that's forcing completions that's um well not just forcing completions but obviously turnovers getting tackles in the backfield sacks tackling the check down in the backfield if you can at the line of scrimmage you know two yard gains etc. Seattle gains back some of that lost aggression inherent to the scheme but then further also inherent to what they don't have up front by um sending like sending the slot every so often and then spinning to cover three or or you know sending two guys weak and then dropping other guys right well like a classic like NCAA blitz like Mm -hmm. like, the classic fire zone blitzes and stuff um Anyway, so they did that at a short clip, and it's it's uh, fair to wonder why not do it more if they got such great results out of it. And by great results, I mean, they were, when they rushed five or more compared to other defenses in the league, they were, I think, seventh in opponent yards for cover snap. So wildly successful, yeah, why not do more of it? But we're not talking about that, and I suspect they will do more of it this year, but we're not talking about them approaching 30-plus percent. Like They're not going to be Rex Ryan that's not what they're trying to do if mm. the more the the more you dip into your auxiliary and supplemental stuff from your base stuff the less you the more you cease to be your base defense and their base defense not just in base personnel but it needs to be rooted in you're not giving up passes downfield that's what the whole defense is trying to be mm. and again it's the it's the easier it is to defend all three levels with the a, a better four-man rush but the fire zones and stuff in their earlier call, their earlier down calls will allow them to, um, you know, generate more negative plays. So
2: what, what I'd also, um, where I'd like to take this actually also is kind of the nickel position in 2022. So like, it's funny me saying this because I've actually in a past episode, I think Justin Coleman might actually struggle to make the roster, (laughs) but if Coleman uh, proves me wrong and, and is, is right. And, is that kind of man nickel, that really matters to me because in bear, like the the bear spacing, the easiest way to send pressure from that is those five guys at the line of scrimmage and then to run cover one behind it, right? If you're gonna run a fire zone, so three deep, three under, it's so obvious to a quarterback, they're drained out here. Um like, it's going to be these three off-ball guys, five will come at me, like, I know where to go with this football. I know where my beta is. But if you're running cover one, it's tied to coverage, you can peel either of the ends, and you can still have right. a rat playing. Right, You're keeping the back in. You're not, um, most of the time. Now, it's, e- it's easier to send a pressure out of cover one with that spacing and that 5-3 stru- that kind of presentation. Um... Yes. So Seattle didn't really have the nickel, as we spoke about, in Ugo Armadi um, to play kind of man coverage on the slot. But if Coleman can do that, then that kind of unlocks more options for them on early down, pressure wise, right. more more viable options. The option was always there and they did they did still do it, but like Coleman could One, be a different level of that. The more other thing is doing it.
1: We've talked about Ugo and what he's good at. We've talked about Justin Coleman and what he's good at, one being zone, one being man, man for Coleman, zone for Ugo. The problem, though, is as far as the disguise goes, as far as disguising goes, like what you were just talking about, Coleman's out there. They don't. You don't want that to be a coverage tell, right? You don't want that to be like a man nope. package world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if he can be good at zone, you know, just good enough, then you can – that's when you can – blitz and then play cover one behind it right that's where you can get into that world right especially with bare spacing like you said because you've got two guys standing up you can do different things to manage the running back with that right Mm -hmm. and then but with ugo it's like when he's out there they know they're playing zone so if they do send pressure they're likely playing right zone principles behind it maybe occasionally man you know what i mean so like that's where that's where it's challenging that's where like a, a nickel in the modern league that can do all of it is so valuable because that's how you stitch calls together down to down snap to snap and keep the offense guessing so we'll see how that plays out i mean coleman has a big thing working against him in that can he be like a legit classic overhang can you be like the star uh as as that position is called in a too high world um can you know and is it worth mixing ugo in there um without his flexibility to play man coverage well. So I don't know how they handle that. But they've got options, though.
3: Um, so where are we at now? Because um, I know you guys have at least one offensive metric that we want to get into. Do yeah. We have well, anything well, else that we have?
1: I don't think so. We can wrap defense up there.
2: Yep. Good old defense. That, that was All interesting.
1: Right. We'll, we'll cap it off okay. with something offense, something fun. Something So, new.
2: you This you, is you.
3: this is what gets the views, folks. Offense, points, That's fantasy right. football.
1: All right, so
2: you Pro Gino, man.
1: Um <laughs> you want some to look forward to, here's some to look forward to statistically with oh. Gino Smith. In mm. the three games that Gino Smith started DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett over that window, so we're comparing them to other receivers from weeks 6 to 8 those three games. Um, DK Metcalf and Tyler Tyler Lockett were fifth and 11th, respectively, in yards per route ran um, during Geno Smith's three-game starting stint, which is to say they were getting elite efficiency when Geno Smith was throwing to them. Um, So if their efficiency can remain stable from going from a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback to a guy that is currently known as a backup, uh, if that can remain stable for a full season, that probably bodes well for Seattle's, in my opinion, their floor from dropping too far, whatever that floor is. I don't d- determine their floor to be exactly what Gino did in his three and a half games, translating that. I think the floor is the projection as well as the ceiling is. But if you can just extract that, him being efficient throwing to DK and Tyler, then that, that's a good thing uh, moving forward, you would think. Right. So, um, obviously it's i mean when you're when you're when you're viewing it through the lens of per route ran that doesn't always mean that they're getting the ball when they should you know that doesn't mean that he's not forcing it to them when there's somebody else open maybe um but their efficiency not tanking is a is a good sign as far as seattle being able to put points up not, not a lot of points but i don't see them being I mean when you have two 1000 yard caliber receivers and they can get 1000 yards and get it efficiently theoretically you're at least you're not going to be a basement dweller um offense you're you're going to be able to move the ball at least have you know moments right good games bad games sure good drives bad drives but the good drives will be there the good games will be there um so that's my little statistical snapshot
2: well and the the chemistry that Geno Smith has with DK Metcalf is going to give him i right. think the the upper hand there's going to be an interesting discussion in the preseason of how much do the like actual starters play to try and give the quarterbacks a fair co- competition like with this, you know because you don't want them to get hurt but then also like you want to see what they'd look like in the first string offense yeah so, um Good. Yeah. And and Gino was working out with DK um, this week, I think. So there you go; they've got something going on there. But then down the depth chart, Drew Locke's working out with uh, Cody Thompson. Their friends, it seems like they did something in Dallas together. I think so. Yeah. And Cody Thompson may play more in the preseason. So right. interesting. But I always think back to that Gino Smith unlocking DK Metcalf. Uh, right. Intermediate back shoulder fade. Where if right. DK can become that kind of guy, where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, fifteen yards one on one back shoulder bang. Right. Okay.
1: Um. And Gino was very accurate to both of these guys downfield the too. They mm-hmm. didn't always connect, but I think every throw was, I think, was in the realm of catchable. Uh. This is another stat for you, uh, Gino Smith on air attempts over 16 yards and greater. Um, He had like, I think he led the league in catchable rate, according to Sports Info Solutions. Now, catchable is very subjective. And I'm not saying he's the most accurate quarterback in the league downfield. I'm not taking that stat at face value. However, it does indicate that he was actually accurate downfield. His um, deep
2: ball catchable pass rate was 57.1%. Which is high. Mm-hmm. But so, his, his, and interestingly, his catchable pass rate was 68.4%, which, um, only came in 42nd. But the fact that his deep balls were relatively high for a deep ball is, is, um,
1: He's not afraid to go downfield either. Uh, and that's, they can, they have the, He'll take his ability. shots. He's
2: not, he's not that veteran who understands defense but won't push it downfield you know the classic comes into the game and then is just like really good at taking that check down (laughs) right no and then what happens is the defense is clamps the check down out and then it's the end
1: right he's not afraid to push the ball and we've got more to say about how he is in the drop back game which this preseason will be really revealing because he'll be working with the ones against ones against you know defense's ones so at least most of them um also also another one his his uh completion percentage over expectation um (laughs) during his stint was actually second in the league um he completed more than six now i i have issues with that stat but it's still it's interesting it's so it's it's how you wield it
2: i don't have yeah i don't have issues with the stat i just think like any stat we have to understand what is actually telling us right right like it's really good in my opinion
1: right yeah 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 yeah, for sure i mean it it combines um depending on who's doing it but it combines um the expected completion of i mean what website or charting company right but it combines like expected completion of, of depth and then also proximity to defenders and stuff um which you know, cool. Uh, second in the league. So he completed six and a half more percent of his passes, six and a half percent more of his passes than expected, which ranks second in the league, second behind Joe Burrow, who isn't known to be the greatest arm talent, but just below Smith was Rogers and Kyler Murray. So like these, there, there are guys with talented arms, right, right in there with him. So it's, it's not, it, it, we're not proclaiming him the second most accurate quarterback and the best deep ball throw in the league. We are simply saying that he actually has arm talent. Um, so, I don't know. Ad- Something ad- to cling to. Yeah, there you go. And I've got more, but we'll save it for another time.
2: Yeah, The when Gino wins the job, we'll just fully launch into that. Um, but you also had highlighted, Griff, um, EPA per play on passes – Lower than five air yards, the splits from weeks one to thirteen. We versus... talked about
1: that.
0: <laughs>
2: what just now?
1: We're, 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 no, we talked about that in the beginning. We're going in circles. We said that after the. Oh yeah, that's a <clears> the great reveal team. of.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: don't be sorry. Um. Don't give me an excuse to bring it up again, because I will.
2: I was <laughs> like, why is why have you highlighted this? Like, who cares about little checkdowns from, like. Anyway, um well then, the seals right. will return to training camp uh, later this month. Then we will have a bit more to talk about in that sense. I think we're going to do a mail bag, as you guys call it. I'd I'd call it a a post box. Do you have post boxes?
1: You guys call mailboxes post boxes, really? Yeah. Well, we,
2: we and they're lovely
1: we, in red. Need post office. So I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, mm, kind of works, doesn't it? Mm, nice and logical. Um, we'll do one of those where you can send in your questions about the Seahawks, or you know anything, but uh, you know preferably the Seahawks, because as you can tell, when when we talk about ourselves and delve away from Seattle, it's really not interesting at all. That's right. Uh, all right. Have, have you got anything else, anyone here? Ty Griffin.
3: Uh, I have one last metric for you.
1: Oh! <clears throat> Lay it on us. Football.
3: I have seen the light, folks.
1: Oh, the Mariners won. Geno is
3: Smith is QB1, one? but also, yes, the Mariners won and the Mariners have won 111 in a row. That is, all, that is also a great metric, but yeah. Geno Smith is QB1. That's the best metric here. That's right.
2: That's okay. right great driffin very good all right well thank thank all any right. work coming up everyone check out ty is the editor at
3: inside the mariners.com if you like the mariners come check it out also check out the locked on mariners podcast on youtube or wherever he, you get your podcast he
2: will take you inside the mariners driffin
1: mm-hmm. all the way inside You got, if you're watching this, you know where to find me. Yeah. It's also displayed prominently there on the bottom.
2: Mm -hmm. There we go. And uh, I'm a free agent, so please, you know,
1: we can find you in. Give me the back.